Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined by Elliot Tanti and Braden Dollar Coltman. This is July 11th. We are midway through the first month of the summer heat heat wave. Is it hot in Edmonton? No, it's not hot in Vancouver either. It's been a very mild, mild uh, summer. And and I would argue that uh, from a sports perspective, it's been kind of mild too. Elliot, some big trades for the Padres. Before we get into the real things we're going to talk about on the show, how do we feel about losing Robinson Cano? Um, you know, you got to do what you got to do. The team's been on a bit of a slide here. And like I've said throughout this year, they're not a strong offensive team. So they're going to be constantly looking at ways to improve that. And got to do what you got to do. I uh, There was a time when Robinson Cano was a real, like, he's a gem. Yeah. But now he's just a massive contract. That's, but how do you really feel about losing Jerexon Profar? That was a bad accident there for the Padres shortstop, or yeah, that was, rather. that was ugly. You don't want to. You want to see that. Uh, but that's why you got to call your balls, man. If it's yours, call your balls. Know, call your balls. All right. Well, uh, on calling our balls, we're going to move on now to topic one. Here we go. All right, so topic one, uh, Elliot, you were unable to join us last week. Braden and I spent a good, well, pretty much most of the show. The whole show. Yeah, pretty much the whole show. Uh, discussing uh, the NHL offseason. We talked a little bit about Kevin Durant, to be fair. There was a to- there was a bit of, yeah. But uh, we spent a good portion of time preparing for the draft, talking even a little bit about free agency. And then obviously we gave kind of like a blueprint outline of what we'd like to see the Oilers do. You can throw that out because the Oilers now have a – just an absolute boatload of cash after the retirement of Duncan Keith. Although technically I don't think that's been made official. I think that'll happen this week. They'll have a press conference, let him do it the right way as he's obviously a first ballot hall of famer and he deserves that. Uh, but the reporting is he will retire. That gives them uh, an extra $5 million on top of um, what they already had. It looks like Mike Smith will go on LTR that adds some money. And then of course the big trade at the draft moving Cassian to the Arizona coyotes for more cap space. So we'll get to all of that. We'll talk Oilers. Let's talk draft. Elliot, you weren't with us last week but you are now we have had the draft and we are moving into free agency thus far for you. What is the biggest story of the off season in the NHL? So I actually watched the entire draft this week, which is a weird thing to do. The entire as in the, the entire second through seven. Yeah. No, just the entire first round. Uh, I watched the entire first round this week. And I think the whole controversy around uh, Montreal's first pick and uh, was it Wright who dropped? This is a lot yeah. of Shane Wright. Shane Wright dropping for, from first to fourth and the death stare he gave Montreal. Uh, that that has to be a, a, a prevailing story for me. That and just that the Chicago Blackhawks, both off the ice and now on the ice, are a total mess. I don't know how you propose to do a be, like – be part of a rebuild or be to be pushing forward a rebuild when you're getting rid of a 21 year old potential superstar in the league, it makes no sense to me at all. So, so, you know, the, the, the story around, right. Or what the hell is going on with Chicago and what, what are people like Kane and Jones thinking right now with that organization? And those have to be the two prevailing stories for me. Right. All right well, let's start there then. Let's let's, for, let's recap for those uh, who haven't been paying attention or have been living under a rock. The Chicago Blackhawks got, the draft kicked off before the draft even really got kicked off uh, early on the day uh, last Thursday, early in the day, they made a, a very big trade. They traded superstar Alex to um, to the Ottawa senators in exchange for their first round pick, which was number seven, a second round pick 
which was number 39. And then next or two years from now, a third round pick. So a very big, basically just dumping of a player for, for future picks. I mean, they, they, they may or may not get a star out of a number seven pick, but they are certainly giving up a star in Alex to And then I think it was like two or three picks into the draft. Montreal had already made headlines, as you said, by, by selecting Slavkovsky, um, making him the highest selected Slovakian player of all time. Ironically, his buddy being drafted at number two was also the highest ranked at that point because the highest before them was Marion Gabrak at three. So one and two being Slovakian made history. But then the Montreal Canadiens got in on the Chicago Blackhawks dumping um, and they made a two-way deal. First, they traded the New York Islanders uh, defenseman Alexander Romanov and a fourth round pick in exchange for New York Islanders first round pick, which at that point was the number 13 pick. And then Montreal packaged that first round pick, the 13, along with their own third round pick to Chicago for Kirby Doc, who also has an unbelievable uh, future. And he's the third. Yeah, he was the third overall pick. So Montreal and Chicago with fireworks, as Elliot said, um, Braden, for you, of all three of those parts of it, what do you think is the most What's the biggest part? Or can you even separate them? Is it all sort of a package deal? Is the picking of Slavkovsky the big story? Is one or both of these Chicago picks the big story? What what for you is the biggest surprise or biggest story? Of the draft. Yeah, of, the, of this yeah, week so far. I'm certainly surprised to see the Chicago Blackhawks like initiate again. They're now in a rebuild, if you can call it that. They, you know, they got rid of Keith last year. They're now, I mean, they claim they weren't going to be able to uh, hold on to the Brinkat and, and keep him, you know, through what this, they didn't want to see his stardom uh, squandered by, I guess, playing in a, on a shitty team. Uh, so that was, I think that was a huge trade. That was, that was massive. That definitely surprised a lot, but I think the biggest surprise was that Montreal ended up taking Slavkowski. I think it made sense once we saw the Kirby doc pick because then they or not pick, but trade, but uh, seeing that they had, determined that was going to be their center and that they didn't need to, uh, you know, have both Shane Wright and Kirby Doc on their team uh, with Nick Suzuki as well. But um, they also got rid of, uh, or they acquired Peter Morazic. Uh, Chicago did, yeah. Yeah, like, like, uh, like Elliot said, Chicago's a complete mess right now. And uh, I think Montreal is showing what, uh, what they what they're going to do to make this rebuild happen quicker. And I think Montreal's got a really great, bright future with their. I would say, I would say Montreal obviously um, has waited a long time to have this draft because they were scheduled to have, uh, I believe the draft in 2020 during COVID, which of course was rescheduled. And then there was not an in-person draft last year either so for two years they've basically been waiting to host this draft and i think a lot of people would be like well what does it matter to host a draft it but you know it it, it's an opportunity to showcase an organization they like the attention that they get there for montreal obviously it's a big deal because the draft becomes a bilingual thing and they can really push their their own sort of branding on top of it which is a big thing you know it's valuable it matters their fans enjoy it and of course it's the first time what since 1995 i believe that the host team had the first overall pick so montreal had done everything right by losing all year to make this the biggest show they could and then they just let off the fireworks yeah uh and certainly the nhl has to be happy with the uh just the sheer both volume of trades but also the quality of trades we've seen trades at the draft and a lot of times you know it's maybe a pick here a pick there a couple years ago we saw 
saw a couple moves before the draft, including the Taylor Hall deal and the PK Subban deal. That was fireworks. But to have it on the draft floor is a big part of it too. And people get really excited about it. And as you said, Elliot, you know, you sat and watched it. I'm sure the numbers were up. I'm sure that there were a lot of people who, um, maybe aren't usually interested in the draft, but found out on Twitter that things were going down and tuned in, which is great for them. Um, Really quickly, let's just spend a quick second talking about what the Oilers did and maybe a little bit what the Maple Leafs did because they kind of were doing similar things. So the Maple Leafs uh, trading away their first round pick, which was 25 um, to the Chicago Blackhawks. And then doing so basically they were, um, essentially just dumping Peter Mrazek's salary and opening up a little bit of cap space that they are also in, going to be in, in need of. Uh, but the bigger dumping of salary, and of course you have to pay for it, is Zach Cassian being traded to the Arizona Coyotes. They attached the 29th pick, a second round pick in 2025, and a third round pick in 2024. A lot of people would say that's a big big price to pay to get rid of Zach Cassian. They get back the 32, which of course they made a selection. They may have made it 29 anyway. It was very much a, a, an easy decision or from later. or later, but the point being you made an easy trade down. It, you didn't give up much in terms of your first round pick, which we know how tightly Ken Holland has clung to that first round pick. He still got a first round pick, even if it was the last pick in the round, we see Zach Cassian go, obviously a very, um, big character in Edmonton. I think a lot of people would argue his time in Edmonton is probably mostly positive. Um, I think people, he was a fan favorite in a lot of ways. He didn't have the kind of success that the current contract he's under would, would warrant. But for you, Elliot, when you look at it, obviously we know the the reasoning is to get that cap space. How do you feel about that deal? Did, did, did Ken Holland get himself out of his own mess uh, adequately for you as a fan? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the number one thing that we've we've been lacking here in Edmonton in previous iterations uh, of this team under different GMs. Is G- we'd had a lot of GMs that could get us into trouble, but very few that could get themselves out of the jams that they put themselves in. <laughs> they bought high on Zach Cassian. He was coming off a, a, a what was a remarkably stellar start to the season. They gave him a long, I think, a three or four year deal at a number that was far too high, and. Uh, and he ended up turning into a fourth line player, as many do when you play that kind of rough and tumble style in the NHL. Look, a second and a third is essentially what we paid to get rid of a contract. I I think the firsts are a wash, whether you're picking yeah, up kind of flip them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, as a second and third. What I did like about this move is that the second is in and is not next year, but the year after, and the third is is next year. Next year's draft class is significantly deeper. Uh, so they say, I mean, I don't know. Uh, they say that it's significantly deeper. And so to, to want to spread out your draft picks one way or another, um, over two years, I think, you know, it was a smart deal. And that coupled with, as you said, off the bat, Keith's, uh, retiring puts Edmonton well positioned, but only kind of, I think when you're looking at where Edmonton's at right now. If you've got Dylan Holloway on your team next year, you've basically got $21 million in cap space. Mm-hmm. With that, you basically have to figure out your entire right side of your offensive, your top offensive lines. You have to figure out at least one defenseman now, probably two. And obviously, we need a goalie. That's, that money starts running out pretty quick. Um, and so he did what he needed to do to get to this point. He's about as well positioned as you could imagine, outside of maybe getting rid of Fogel. So, okay. There's still time. 
There's still time, time, but maybe Fogo's not as as expendable as necessarily need. need okay, so let's talk about the Oilers really briefly here. Let's just go through it. Let's start at the goalie position. Obviously, the name that I was touting last week, and I believe a lot of Oilers fans probably were hopeful to see as an option, was Vili Husso. He gets a big deal in Detroit after being traded for a third-round pick, so Gosh. he comes off the board. Eisman has a yeah, way you guys trading for guys made a mess of shot quality and explaining what that was yesterday last week I gotta... <laughs> would you like to come in as our wonk i still don't it? understand what it is so maybe you can further explain it absolutely so his expected his expected save percentage is based on the types of shots that he's getting not the number of shots that he's getting so, so like uh, wrist shots over slap so shots against them yes or high danger chances one timers mm-hmm. screened opportunities breakaways those sorts of things so against an average goalie the an average goal you'd expect to save 88.5% of the shots that he's faced. He has saved what was it like 905 or 910 or something like that. So above an average NHL goalie, he's ex, he's saving, you know, 10% more of the shots based so on shot when they block. calculate this, you're telling me that they what they use the previous years like average shot chances like where the majority of the shots coming against that team are or just no there are shots that he's that he's facing and the quality of shots that he's facing so this is the thing that killed us when we were in Edmonton or when when Dubnik was in Edmonton Dubnik had a terrible a, a lower save percentage then all of a sudden he went to Arizona and his save percentage went up it was because the the quality of shots that he was facing in Edmonton were so much higher his expected save rate was actually much higher how do they calculate goals let in after the goalie gives the puck up? I don't know. What kind that's of, just what kind of scoring chance is that? That's, that that's would be on the shot. So right. you'd have well, some Mike sort of 100% on that. But case. I feel like that kind of statistic is incredibly, incredibly um, subjective to each year. Is it any different than war in baseball? Well, that's my point. Like how, why is that a statistic that anybody is depending? Because, because if you're saving more shots of a higher quality, quality variety, if you go to a team with a better defense, the quality, the expected difficulty of the down. shots going to go down. So you're going to have a higher save percentage. So it's so more of a defensive statistic than it is a goalie statistic. It's, it's, a, it's, it's as much as defensive. Yeah, absolutely. Right, if you're goalie facing, if your goalie's constantly facing high danger shots, hmm. then that's a problem with your defense. And that's for Edmonton for years during the decade of darkness. The quality, it wasn't the number of shots. It was the quality of shots in Edmonton were so bad, were so high because the defense was so poor. And that's why Devin Dubnik got run out of time with run out of town with a poor save percentage. Showed up in Arizona, and the rest of his career was a better. You know, didn't he win the Vesna or nearly won a Vesna one year? Because I he, think was he was a, in the running, yeah, good, yeah. He was he was actually a good goalie, but the the quality of shots in Minnesota higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so let's just talk goaltending then for a second. We've got. We've got obviously a few of the big names still on the table. Elliot, what would be your preference if you were, if they said, Hey, Elliot, who do you want? Is it, is it Jack Campbell? Is it Darcy Kemper? Is it a deal for like a Matt Murray or a Braden Holtby or Andre Vasilevsky? Obviously that's not an option (laughs) of those guys that are out there. I mean, I mean, there's guys out there that are beyond those, but those seem to be the names swirling around for you where, Come Thursday, because I believe the, the, the it starts Wednesday, Wednesday, right? So come Thursday, who is the who's flying into Edmonton for the press conference as the new goalie of the Edmonton Oilers? I mean, ideally, it's none of the above. Ideally, it's not one. It's ideally it's someone that you you're only signing for one or two years because you're trying to figure out what you're getting in Skinner, and you have to pay Skinner next year. That's not going to happen. So if I had to bet, if I was a betting man who I think is going to be here, 
on, is it Wednesday this week? I would say it's Campbell, but it sounds like it's down to Edmonton and Toronto for him. And I don't know. Apparently he met with Edmonton today and has not walked away with a deal. So he's, I think going to wait to Wednesday, hear the offers that are there. I think, you know, it would also be illegal if he walked away with a deal right now. No, he wouldn't. He, he belongs to Toronto. They own his rights. Well, you, you he can resign. So you meant Toronto. Oh, I'm he sorry. Walked, he he could walk. Toronto. He met okay. with Toronto today. Can I say Edmonton? I'm but sorry. He met with Toronto Freudian today. Kind of thought yeah. that just no, no. Mad. He met with Kyle Dubas today. Yeah. And they didn't walk away with a deal. That's what I meant to say. So he, he is clearly not like 100% committed to Toronto. He wants to hear the other offers. I'm sure that there will be plenty of them. There's a few teams that need goaltenders. Um, obviously, the tricky thing about Darcy Kemper is that you have to trade for him. No, he's a free agent. He's a UFA. You'd have to trade for his rights if you wanted to, if you wanted to do it early. But the thing with Kemper, again... Or do it for eight years. Instead. I think the situation with all of the goalies available right now in free agency is that they're going to want term. I mean, we've got the money to be able to pay, but they're going to want term. So that's a challenge like like elliot said we're gonna to have to start paying skinner soon and skinner's gonna be a bona fide backup next year i think and yeah. you're gonna to have to pay him enough to be you know to stick around with the you're team he, he, he won't he won't demand the kind of term that either kemper or uh campbell campbell's looking for i think five for five which is what uh hyman got the edmonton oilers have some success with pulling in uh, you know, former Toronto Maple Leafs uh, players, and they've had success with the team. Um, Kemper is injury prone, like he has been for most of his career. He had a successful year because they won, but I don't think that that was you know, necessarily resting on his laurels. Um, of the rest, yeah, he was you know, good enough. The second tier Holtby, I'm hearing that he's likely injured and maybe done even for next season as well. So it's sparse, man. I think the trade trade options are kind of the only uh, only only way they should be looking at this but i do think it's going to be campbell if if all of those trade options run dry john gibson doesn't want to trade to edmonton um i'm trying to think of some of the others that are uh carter yes. Hart has been talked about a lot but i don't there's think no way you're getting carter Hart. no not without giving up a huge a huge sum here's the thing like let's talk for just a quick second about Jack Campbell. Now he was injured for part of last year. He played 49 games, but look at his numbers. I mean, he, he, he won 31 games and nine losses for a really good team in Toronto. I think we can all argue Edmonton on their best day is as good offensively as Not Toronto, yeah. maybe a little bit weaker defensively. Toronto's got some big guys on the defense, but they play a very similar offense. First game. He faced a lot of opportunities. He had a 2.68 goals against average and he had a 9.14 save percentage the guy only let like only allowed nine losses against him in 49 games i'm sorry but that's those are good numbers and i'm i'm telling you if you had skinner pick up this you know, is but this is the thing like we we bet big on cam talbot but you can't tell what, what you yeah know, but like, cam talbot took you to the playoffs the first time the, the point being you don't know what you're going to get from any of these guys you could pick the best goalie in the league and he could come in and blow out his acl in day on day two and none of it matters you have to go with the information you have available to you you have to go with the available options to you the oilers can't start the season with Stuart skinner if you take the list of players there 
Darcy Kemper or Jack Campbell, either one of those guys is better than what you have right now, which is nothing. What are you taking a five for five or a six for six? I don't know. And that's the thing, right? They have to figure that part of it. Well, you're going to, that's where you're going to run into trouble. Like if you're actually going five for five, then, you know, I like that deal. I just don't think it's coming in at that. I think it's going to be much higher. I think it's you're closer to the six for six or 5.5 for over six years or something like that. Here's the thing about Jack Campbell that I just think is lost on all of us. We haven't truly had good, pure, honest NHL goaltending, like NHL caliber level goaltending in Edmonton for three years. And he provides that. And I, and I think that that's that. Can you imagine? I, for me, I just think, imagine how good this team would be. Even if, even if Jack Campbell is giving you nine, 10, the most basic save percentage, you know, two and a half to three goals against a game. That, that that is something that we just never we haven't had in the last three years not with the quality that we're at I, you know whether it was Huso, whether it was Campbell whether it was Flurry, whether it's you know Murray it, we just need an NHL level goaltender that's really been that the can play that many games yeah yeah, yeah. you can look maybe Stewart gets really playoff. hot and you get 20 games out of him he had some hot games, games last year there's definitely I mean, the Oilers Nation that. guys all think the sunshine shines out of his asshole so let's give them an opportunity to be proven I think wrong. it does too I think it will I mean but the thing is I don't I, but you don't like put him in that situation that's right they want yeah he's, he's a rookie yeah. like let him be a rookie let him develop we don't need another situation where we, we we're watching him go off somewhere else because you know we've pushed him to a point where he can't play like Dubnik or somebody else, rather than giving him time to develop properly. Let's talk about what the ideal situation was. It's an older goaltender. It's a three-year term. You transition the crease from him that you get NHL caliber goaltending from that older guy. You transition the crease over to Skinner and then Skinner takes over and he's your lead goalie. That's just not an option this year. So you're going to be. Well, the ideal situation, Elliot, is you pick up a goaltender and you win three Stanley Cups in a row on that contract. And at the end of it, you just resign them them because you've got got a a Hall of Fame goalie in your hand. That's the ideal situation. And look, Jack Campbell has shown. For me, I, I feel like it's come down to Kemper or, or Campbell. And if, it, if that's true, then you have to just look at those two guys and, and, and evaluate the two pieces of it. One, you're getting experience in Kemper, having now been to the Stanley Cup Finals and won. Yes, he didn't play once. I, I think only half a game against the Oilers in the in the third round, but he only had to play four games in both of the first and third round anyway. So it's not like he missed much hockey, but he got the team there. They had one of the best winning percentages through the entire season for the parts he played. He had an incredible run. We brought his team there. He's had that experience. That's a check mark in his favor. You have to acknowledge that he's been in big game situations and he's won big games. Look, they, they went toe to toe with the, with the Tampa Bay lightning and he did enough to get them through. And that's, that's a, that's more than the Oilers have had. You know what I mean? They won a many of those playoff games. We enjoyed often just hanging on goaltending wise, right? Just enough. If you can have a goalie who can stop those, those that next goal more consistently, you're in great shape. You Jack can't, Campbell, you can't come out of you can't come out of the playoffs where you in three different games your team scored five goals and you didn't win those games. Right. No, hundred percent. And I think both of these options should limit that. Look, Jack Campbell, inconsistent a little bit in Toronto, but go back a year ago to Toronto and that Toronto team with Jack Campbell looked like they were 
on their way to something really special. Toronto has their own issues when it comes to the first round. And I don't think you can hang too much of that on Jack Campbell. Look, some of it's there. They're obviously looking for a different goalie. So they've moved on from him to some degree, although it sounds like they'd still like to keep him. So there's something about that. Although this, well, if he's not good enough for Toronto, clearly Toronto thinks he's good enough for it. And they just may not be able to sign him. He may want a different opportunity. The thing for me with Jack Campbell is I think that you kind of know what Darcy Kemper is. Jack Campbell, I think, hasn't yet met his potential. I think he's gotten close, but I do think there's more in him as a, as a young goalie who's really only had like four proper NHL seasons to his name. 2018 is the first year he played more than more than 10 games for that matter. He played five games for LA in 2017 before he was sent back to the minors. 2018, uh, he played 31, 19, he had 26 and then 20, obviously it was a shortened season, but he played 20 of those games. And then last year, as I said, 50 games. So has he played a full season? No. Has he, we're not expecting that out of any, either of our goaltenders. We just need someone who can continually get better. His record in 2022, the Toronto Maple Leafs was 17 and three, and his record in 2021 was 31 and nine. You take those numbers in Edmonton in front of or behind Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and whomever, whether it's Clojure or Vander Kane or wherever else your $10 million offensive budget goes. I like their odds. And I think Elliot's right. I feel a lot more confident with one of those options there. And I totally agree. Yeah. Well, we're going to know all of that by this time next week, because by that point, we will have had free agency come and gone. We'll know if the Edmonton oh, Oilers have, well, oh, but nah, the big names will be off the board. The big names will be off the board. Usually the fireworks are the first two or three days, Max. We'll see what happens. Uh, let's leave that there. That's topic one. Topic two this week is brought to us by Busy Bee Vegan Skincare. Busy Bee is an all-natural skincare line dedicated to healthy, vegan, plant-based skincare and overall wellness. They offer a selection of handcrafted body scrubs, butters, and washes that not only make your skin glow, but smell amazing. Their unique all-natural scents include gingerbread, ruby grapefruit, caramel cake, and morning latte. So why not treat your skin to something fresh and all-natural? Head over to shopbusybevegan.com today. And as a special bonus, Busy Bee is offering listeners of this podcast a 15% discount on your first order with the code ORDINARYPODCASTS. Uh, we spoke briefly about this a few months back. Uh, Brittany Griner, who, of course, is one of the biggest names in uh, women's basketball, WNBA star, she had been playing in Russia just before the invasion of Ukraine and was arrested at the airport trying to leave Russia. She was accused of trying to cross the border or I guess be in possession in Russia uh, with um, cannabis cartridges. It was like a hashish cartridges for a, for a vape vape. Yeah. Um, uh, and she was arrested and, and charged with possession of these illegal drugs. And of course, right off the bat, you know, this thing smelt pretty much like a politically motivated uh, action by Russia. This is something that we've seen Russia and China do at different stages of the last couple of years in retaliation for actions from the West. But of course, it gained headlines at the time. And then the story kind of went quiet um, until last week. It's been about four and a half months since that time. Brittany Griner uh, had her early preliminary court hearings, and she has now pled guilty. Um, and many people are speculating the reason for this being that in order for the United States to be able to offer some type of prisoner swap or find some political solution to get her um, released and brought home, 
uh, that she first would have to actually be charged with the crime and convicted of a crime because she's not technically a prisoner until she's actually a convicted prisoner. So there's obviously a lot of fireworks around this. Some some of the big sort of hot takes that I heard over the week, of course, were, and I think some of them rightfully so, but let, let's dig into this. That A couple of people sort of saying, can you imagine if this was LeBron James or a male athlete or somebody of her caliber on the flip side of this and what the outrage for the last few months would be, or how has the story gone so quiet? There's also been takes suggesting that it's quiet for a reason, which is that her lawyers and her family have tried really hard to ask the media that's been asking about her to stay quiet because they feel like she has a better opportunity Um if the if if it doesn't put additional pressure on Russia or doesn't become a bigger story, I don't know if that's true. I don't know um, whether or not that's that's had any kind of impact, or it is the fact that we have a very short attention span in the West, and unfortunately, we've moved on to other things. Uh, but of, as I say, she was con- she she pled guilty. She has not yet been convicted. I'm sure that will happen at some time in the in the next couple of weeks. She could face up to ten years in prison um, for this. Uh, alleged crime that she's now pled guilty to. The WNBA held their all-star game this weekend and all of the players uh, lined up for the national anthems wearing Griner jerseys uh, to show solidarity and support for their fellow basketball star. Elliot, I will go to you first. I know I always sort of tease you and say, here's, you, you know, this is right down your wheelhouse. It's geopolitics and sports, but we talked a little bit about this at the beginning. Um, as you followed this story, you know, what have your impressions been, I guess, of, of how it's played out and, and, and where do you think this this goes? Uh, so you list off a bunch of things off the front end of that around. Is it this? Is it that? You know, is this an act of war? You know, would she be getting the same amount of coverage if, if this was LeBron James? Um, uh, is this the proper way to be handling this thing? I think yes and all of the above. And that's one of the things that I've been really struggling with, too, is that there's this weird and delicate balance, much like a lot of things that we're talking about, you know, guns in America, for example, uh, where you you don't want to give, you want to make sure that the attention to the issue remains, um, but you don't want to jeopardize the people that are involved or the victims in these situations. I mean, the Western world is at war with Russia. And in various different ways, Western democracies and Western sports leagues regardless of your position on it, have used sports as a weapon in that fight. And we've endorsed it. We've said Russian players shouldn't play in these situations. Russian players should be taking more responsibility, speaking out against their government. We had a very robust and complicated conversation around Alex Ovechkin. Well, war is a two-way street. And that's the, the, these are the consequences of when we get into international conflicts that occur. People... People who don't deserve to be hurt get hurt. And, and it happens in a lot of different ways. My instincts and everything that I know about international politics is that the, the smaller you make a deal uh, of something like this, the easier it is to get the deal done. I think, you know, the example I use in Canada is the two Michaels. Uh, there was left there. You needed to generate attention about the fact there were the two Michaels, but then it got too big and, and it made, uh, the Michaels, a, a bigger bargaining piece and international politics. And I understand we're talking about human lives here. Don't, don't but I, you know, I'm just going to be the realist in the room here. The bigger deal that you make it, the more valuable that that chip is. I, I'm glad to see that that some actions are being taken. And, you know, hopefully this this governor uh, will be successful in his attempts to sort of negotiate a release and, and potentially, you know, some Russians going back in some sort of prisoner exchange, which seems crazy that we're talking about sports people as prisoners. But again, war is a two-way street. 
And um, we've lived in peacetime, particularly in the West for so long. I think it's important reminder that it's not just guns and bullets and tanks. There's our world's too complex and, and too difficult now. And it affects people in ways that are unthinkable. And, uh, and I don't know that I've answered your question or provided any perspective whatsoever, but I've just talked on this because I think it's incredibly challenging. Braden, you're kind of a resident basketball person. When you saw the reaction of the players at the WNBA All-Star Game this weekend, what were your first thoughts? Uh, I mean, they've been advocating for this situation since it happened. It's it's one of their own, and one of um, you know, it's it could be any it could be anyone. Um, she's a, a you know she and she represents much more than just an athlete. She's a you know she's a she's a woman. She's a queer woman. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different um, avenues here that that conflict with the situation that she finds herself in. I think you know, listening to her pleading guilty, she pleaded that this was an accident. She did not mean to have this cartridge and yet it happened. And therefore, you know, it doesn't mean that her sentence, whatever that ends up, you know, coming down being will be lighter, but hopefully that situation will be an easier one. And there is a, there is an, uh, an easier avenue, avenue for uh, release back to, the the states and whatever the situation happens from there uh is is an easier transition i i just hope that i hope that it like like you said the attention is still on it however the uh, magnitude of which the bargaining chip or the the asset value of it stays low so that the the transition can be an easy one I mean, when you look at it, Elliot, do you think that there is an element of, I mean, it's obviously all politics. It's all, it's all, um, I mean, that's a big part of it. I shouldn't say it's all politics, but it's a big part of it, obviously. And there's a huge amount of political theater that's going on here on both sides. It's going to be important to Biden and the administration of the United States that they handle this in a way that doesn't, you know, make a mess up for them on their you know, at home and equally for Russia, the, you know, they're looking to play this into their own hands the, the right way too. when we deal with just the human element of this. I mean, when and if Brittany Griner is able to get out of this situation, I mean, how do you think this impacts the way that athletes think about and treat playing in foreign countries? I mean, does this affect the way, I mean, I'm sure it already has. We've just recently saw also the story of the, the Philadelphia players, Philadelphia Flyers prospect uh, goaltender, who's basically been taken off to the gulag for not, you know, um, uh, showing up for his assigned, you know, draft uh, assignment with the Russian military, instead of he trying to get back to the United States to play hockey. I mean, how does this affect the, the athlete part of this? Do you think? Oh, I think we've already seen that. I mean, your example is, is, is relatively recent. I'll give you another one. How many Russian players playing in Russia right now fell in the draft rankings? Fell to, because NHL teams. Well, that's just it. Yeah. It, right? And every it, team has been asked about their players that are, that are, and are, and are thinking about like, where are they and what's going on? Isn't there a Kirill Kaprizov issue currently too? He's been denied access to the U.S. twice in the last month. So... This is that's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, it, 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 absolutely, absolutely. This is this is impactful, and it's difficult as a sports fan taking politics outside of this to have to deal with it. I mean, these are your favorite players. These are these are play for your teams. It's really impactful. Gail Kaprizov, after the year that he's had, 
to not play or that, that to be potentially, potentially in danger. And, 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 and why is this so, you know, so someone that's not engaged with this, they, they might ask like, why is this so complicated or what the hell is going on here? You know, what's important to remember is that these Russian players also have families in Russia too. And you've seen this time and time again, where things are more, the world is more complicated than sport. And I know everyone around this table will eye roll and will say, yeah, obviously, Elliot. But, but, but let's remember that it's a very difficult balance between when, when your country, the, your country is essentially at war with the Western world. Um, it, it's gloves off and families are not untouchable. And players and athletes are having to make incredibly difficult decisions and weigh two sides of an issue, a life and a career and, uh, and uh, the economic opportunity of the West and Western sports societies, but also the fear and endangerment of their families and the impact that their actions might have on their families. And I, I, I'm reiterating what I said to uh, about Alexander Ovechkin. Sure, I was disappointed in response, but I understood it. You know, these are the kinds of things that unfortunately when you're at war, and I will say war for maybe the fifth time at this podcast to remind us of what's going on here, these are the kind of unintended consequences that happen. Yeah, and beyond that too, right? She's been now detained for five months, right? And we don't know how much longer that's going to be. Beyond that, will she ever play basketball again, right? The the mental stress and the impact it will have on her beyond this situation is going to be severe and, and it, and it will reverberate to her family and the people and, and, you know, people around her that, that will, will be greatly impacted by this situation for, for a long time. Yeah. Well, I think we all agree. We would wish her and her family um, uh, that this solution is dealt with quickly, that there is a, a, a you know, a, a positive outcome in our near future. And I hope that um, on behalf of all of those other athletes that they, they also find themselves in situations where they are able to do what they love to do in a peaceful and safe way. And that we also continue to remember that we are also dealing with, as Elliot has said, multiple times a war and that we would urge both Russia and, and, and all of those other countries out there who are currently waging war on innocent civilians and, and people like that, that peace is the only real future we have as a, as a people and we need to continue to fight for that. Let's leave topic two there. Do you like fast cars? Do you like when they race? Whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you've just discovered the rush of racing, Check out the Pit Stop Podcast presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Join Jordan, Tyler, and Braden each week as they recap every race as well as break down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race in the Formula One schedule. The Pit Stop Podcast is available anywhere you get your podcast. All right, we're going to round out this episode with hats off. Elliot, you were not with us last week, therefore you get the honor, if not the privilege, starting us off who are you taking your hat off to this week you know this is a challenging one it's one of great celebration but also great loss uh my hat this week goes off to mike greer who was uh announced late earlier this week as the newest general manager in the nhl taking over the uh san jose sharks organization in that role the first man of color to hold that position uh, and obviously with the Edmonton connection, who can't let, who doesn't love Mike Greer and uh, and when he was an Edmonton Oiler. 
my hat goes off not only for the promotion, but also the way in which um, he handled himself and handled his new leadership role during the NHL draft when uh, quite suddenly and very sadly, uh, we learned that Brian Marshmont had passed away, another former Oiler. And when San Jose, when the San Jose Sharks went up to make their pick after a number of teams had recognized Brian Marchment, uh, Mike Greer was the one to deliver the message from the team. And I thought it was uh, a beautiful moment. I thought it showed immense leadership, uh, strength, and uh, he really showed the entire NHL world, the entire sporting world, why he deserves that leadership role and, and why it's rightly his. Uh, he did it with grace and with humility, um, but in a way that um, I think shone a light on who Brian Marshman was as a player, but also as a man, uh, and in a celebratory tone in what is must have been just an incredibly dark situation for the team. And to imagine having to deal with that, well, basically only minutes into the job, uh, I have to give my hats off to my career, the entire San Jose Sharks organization. And of course, the family and friends of Brian Marchman. Here, here. Uh, I, I will go next. Um, I will take my hat off this week to uh, Mr. Eldrick Tiger Woods, who is going to appear at the British Open, the Open, uh, the Open Championship, which is also the 150th um, Open Championship, a um, you know a celebration of golf where it all began uh, at the old course at St Andrews in Scotland. He is a three-time Open champion winner. He won in 2000, 2005, and 2006. It is the longest major from when he previously won, right? Oh, He's wow. won the Masters and the PGA Championship in the U.S. Open more recently in 2008, 2007, and 2019, respectively. But he has not won at uh, in Britain, in the U.K., at the Open Championship since 2016. And we have not seen a lot of Tiger Woods, but when he comes out of the woods uh to pardon the pun <laughs> when he comes out of the shadows and shows up at one of these majors which is pretty much all he's playing at this point much like at the masters all cameras are on him he becomes the show demonstrating again how big a shadow he casts over the world of golf all of this live golf storylines all the pga storylines no no but the tour. point being when tiger woods shows up everyone else does too and, of course. and it matters to the British Open to the to the to the Open Championship that he is there the 150th as I said it's a big important event for them uh, the only living champion they did not invite Greg Norman of course as the CEO of Live Golf that's its own story but all the major all the all the big champions will be there all of the legends will be there in attendance do we expect Tiger Woods to win no but look it's Tiger Woods you never know mm -hmm. and I take my hat off to Tiger Woods just for showing up again and for being Tiger Woods. And I'm excited. It makes it makes it a more exciting weekend of golf because you know that he's there, and it's, it's a different thing, right? It's a different. And it's at thing. the it's at the old course, St Andrews, of course. That's gonna be yes. beautiful. Of course. So what you just said. All right, Braden, round us out. Get us out of here. It's All falling right. apart on us. <clears throat> My hat is going off. We mentioned this guy briefly. Uh, another Edmonton connection, all but brief. Uh, uh, late second round pick in 2002, retiring after 17 years. The great Duncan Keith is retiring, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, he's won three Stanley Cups, two Norris trophies, a Conn Smythe trophy, a Memorial Cup, a Memorial Cup, two Olympic gold medals. Yep. 
he's going to be spending a lot of time with his family now, which is what he wanted all along. That's why he came to Edmonton to be closer to his kid in Kelowna. Look, the, the, he has not. I mean, what has he not won? Well, he hasn't. Well, he, what's the ECHL one? That's really the only one. <laughs> yeah, he never. Yeah, he never played there. It's the only one. That's what I mean. Like of all the major trophies in the sport, he's got them. He's got gold medals, multiple. He's played he's the legend. highest level. He's beyond he's a legend. legend. I mean, he's. Yeah. If there was ever a first ballot Hall of Famer, like if there was ever a nod question, knock it down more than like Gretzky, it's Duncan Keith. And the icing on the cake. And if you're one too. of the guys waiting for the Hall of Fame, boy, oh boy, you're like fucking hell, yeah. really? <laughs> well, yeah. If you're not a Vancouver connection, yeah, maybe right. you'll have a chance next year. But for for Duncan Keith, hats off we all kind of bemoaned a little bit having that big contract come along to Edmonton last year. There was a lot of talk. Well, maybe he'll retire and then maybe we won't have to pay him the next year. And sure enough, now we have all this fun money to play with. So hats off to Duncan Keith for, uh, for a, a fantastic career. All right. Well, we will leave it there. Thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. As always, uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe. You can listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter on behalf of Elliot, on behalf of Braden. Thank you. Have a great week. That was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler coltman and Braden Dyler coltman You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.